This is the Dad Devotionals Podcast with Dave Domzowski. Each week, I'll bring you compelling interviews that'll educate, inspire, and motivate you to become the father and husband our Lord called you to be. We're a community of devoted dads who want to strengthen our faith and family and live out our true purpose in this life. Please, won't you join us? Just text me at 717-913-5671, and you'll be welcomed into my Devoted Dads community. And if you want to support the podcast, we invite you to purchase a product, a book, or a course in our affiliate shop on daddevotionals.com. You can also contribute monthly at patreon.com slash daddevotionals. Now, here's today's show. God bless. Hey, parents. Do you want the perfect addition to your homeschool adventure? You have to check out the Tuttle Twins. Go to daddevotionals.com slash Tuttle Twins. That's T-U-T-T-L-E. The Tuttle Twins helps homeschool parents convey the principles of freedom to their kids in a fun way. They have books for toddlers ages 5 to 11 and 12 and older. They even have a fabulous economic curriculum along with parent teaching guides. Your kids will learn about the golden rule, entrepreneurship, the free market, property rights, the importance of education, and more. Don't wait to add these books to your kids' education plan. Go to daddevotionals.com slash Tuttle Twins today. That's daddevotionals.com slash Tuttle Twins. Welcome to Dad Devotionals. This is part two of our two-part series with my wife, Anna Dimzowski. The topic, of course, is homeschooling your children. As you recall, Anna is a stay-at-home mother to our two young children. Prior to that, she was a rock star, real estate agent, teacher, and accountant. For this episode, part two, we'll cover different homeschooling philosophies and programs that you can consider as you start out. Anna, welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me again, hon. Hi, good to talk to you. All right, well, let's let's just dive right in um, to the different philosophies and programs for homeschooling. Tell us about, let's start with some of the common misconceptions that folks may have when it comes to homeschooling your kids. Um, well, one of the common misconceptions, um, I would say, if we're talking about philosophies, is that there's one type of curriculum or one way to homeschool. Um, in reality, there are hundreds of different ways to homeschool. There's about six um, different philosophies, and then within that, there are infinite ways to work out that philosophy to fit your home and your style. So in, in the homeschooling world, a lot of times when I talk to people, um, they're shocked to find that I can buy box curriculums. They're shocked to find out that I can provide um, a classical education at home for my children that I can teach Latin at the kitchen table. They think that's things that are only able to be done in a very expensive private school. And then they're shocked to find it out that there are other ways that we're not doing the only way. And that when they say, oh, that wouldn't work for us, it's they're amazed to find out there are other things that could fit them better. Yeah, that, make, that makes sense, hon. Um... So I know what it took for us to get to the point where we found the curriculum that works well for our kids, but, you know, it's going to, it's going to be different process for each family, right? So what are some of the different homeschooling philosophies out there? And can you walk us through some of them? Because I know that they, they vary. So um, what works for us is not necessarily going to work well for somebody else. So let's talk about that. Talk about the theory, talk about the philosophy and why somebody may choose one over the other. Okay, so I do agree that what works for us won't work for somebody else um, because we're a different family and we function as a family differently than any other family in America. Um, But the process to figuring out what curriculum and what style we are, I think is a process that every single family should go through. Um, And that begins with sitting down and coming up with your why. Why do you want to homeschool? What is that really strong motivation in you? What kind of education do you want to provide your children? Sitting down with your spouse um, for a half an hour and 
pretending you have an unlimited budget and mapping out what the perfect education for your family and your child would be and what would that look like? And then sitting down with all these different philosophies and matching your dream education to a philosophy. And you'll find within that, you'll start to be like, oh, wow, I really am a Charlotte Mason or I really do gravitate to classical. Then you can open up the world and say, now that I know my philosophy, there are 500 different curriculums that fit within these different philosophies that I can start to price out and pick through and um, find out what fits my family. And that is where the beauty of homeschooling comes in. So for all the families out there that are sitting there on the fence, it starts with you sitting down and imagining what kind of educational experience you want to have for your child. So in the philosophy world, you can start with the traditional. There's a lot of people out there that they remember sitting at a desk. They remember the workbooks. They remember the worksheets. They feel very comfortable with um, the science of memorizing dates or the science of experiments, the history of memorizing dates. Um, and they want the children to have that same textbook experience. That's called the traditional method. Um, a Becca is a phenomenal curriculum. It's used in private Christian schools all around the country um, that follows very much of that traditional, you can teach it to one kid, you can teach it to 30 kids all in the same grade level. In the traditional method, though, you are very much within your grade level working through a workbook. Um, it's amazing because it's very easy to plan. It's very easy to implement you because you probably grew up with this type of teaching. You feel the most comfortable with it. Um, and it's very teacher led. You sit at the front, you give them the work, they work through it. On the other side of that, though, you have like the Charlotte Mason. And Charlotte Mason was actually a woman that lived in the 1850s into the early 1920s. She started looking at the way education was being done and saying, you know, I think there's a better way to do this. Um, she specifically focused in on how we teach history. And she wanted to go back to living books, books um, think of American Girl series where um, you're living the history with the character. She wanted original source documents. She didn't just want the textbook date and like um, the poems that we all remember, the Mayflower sailing in 1492. She wanted you to read the actual original documents. She wanted hands-on experiences. Um, she had a heavy focus on delaying a formal education. Charlotte Mason does focus on delaying the formal education. This gets confused though with a lot of followers of, formal, of Charlotte Mason who think that there's no education before the age of seven. And that's not true. Charlotte Mason was all for um, you teaching your child in nature, teaching your child with art, reading aloud to your child, and following your child's lead up to seven. If your child wants to learn how to read, letting them learn how to read, but not sticking them at a desk before the age of seven and saying you have to work for the next three hours. Um, Charlotte Mason can work really well for a large family um, and a group type learning. It is a philosophy and it is definitely more student-led than parent-led. You follow your especially in the younger years, you follow your child's desires. So if your kid is rhyming and sounding out words and asking you, showing you all those readiness, she is all about teaching your child to read. She's all about taking your child into nature and answering all those questions, but you not necessarily leading that and saying, hey, what is that big thing with leaves on it? But letting the child ask you, what is this forest filled with? And you teaching the child about trees. Um, 
A popular curriculum with that would be Ambleside Online, which is completely free. There's hundreds of different curriculums that um, pull some of Charlotte Mason and others and kind of mesh them together. But in the younger years, it's definitely a philosophy of how you approach education within your family. Um, And then you can go back more towards the traditional method and you can go into the classical, which is what we as a family decided to go to. Um, And the classical goes all the way back to Aristotle and Plato and the way that those early philosophers were taught. We definitely focus on the three stages of learning that a person will go through in their years of the grammar stage, which is your reading, writing, and arithmetic, your dialectic stage, and your rhetoric stage. Um, These early years are really heavy in memorization and drill work, which some families find really boring um, and tedious, and they are definitely workbook types work. But then as your child moves, They go into reading the great books. They go into learning Latin for grammar. They go into arguing with logic and debate. Um, And the classical method's goal is the critical thinking, which is what attracted our family to it. Um, We use Memorial Press. I absolutely love them. From the earliest age, they start with the classic children's books and bring the children all the way up through reading Little House on the Prairie books, um, Farmer Boy books, Blaze um, Blaze and His Horse. It was a phenomenal book. Uh, just in the, the books bring out the history. So we don't have a formal history program until second grade. We don't have a formal science program. So all the great books and all the classical books that you fill your child's mind with are also teaching the history and the science alongside of it. But there is definitely every day that starts with recitation and it's the drilling effects and dates that in the beginning seem very meaningless to a child. Um, So then you can kind of flip back if that is too structured. And you can look at a Montessori method. Montessori is super popular in America. It's a very expensive educational experience that you can give your child. I think most people, if they've looked into private schools, have probably heard of Montessori and gone and visited Montessori. The classrooms are beautiful. They're very child-centric. Everything is put down at a child's level. And what's wonderful that people don't realize is that you can do Montessori at home. Now, I hand it to every mom out there that does a Montessori method at home. Um, It does take a vast amount of supplies. There are no box materials. You are creating toys for your children out of wood. You are um, putting everything at their level for them to be able to reach for, and you're giving them a lot of freedom to move during the day to go from experience to experience to experience. Um, they are outside cooking, outside gardening, they're inside cleaning, they're cooking, they're moving over to their math, they're picking up books, they're doing maps, and you are supplying this beautiful world at their fingertips and doing minimal directing throughout their day of like, hey, go look over at your art if you're bored. Um, you're giving them large blocks of time to explore their education. Um, Maria Montessori encourages at least three hour blocks. So those are three hours where you are considered a guide in your family. You're not a teacher. You are there just to help direct the child to explore the different educational opportunities that you're presenting. And usually what is hopeful in a beautiful, eye-pleasing manner. Um, So having a very orderly household, having a very orderly way of doing things, always having fresh fruits and vegetables, child knives so that they can cut their own. 
um, and having things that spark their curiosity always within reach so that they can go find it. Um, so if something like that appeals to you, you could also look at the other philosophy of unit studies. Lots of teachers in schools follow a unit studies philosophy. Usually what it is, is it's a month-long study, a year-long study, a semester-wide study, where you take something your child's really interested in, like space, and you go into that interest with them, but you bring in reading and math and science and social studies all through this central theme. So the child is following through on something that they're really interested in, but you're you're learning to count by counting the planets. You're learning to read by reading about Earth. You're learning science, naturally, with that. You're learning history about how and when each planet was discovered. So a unit study takes on the parent side, usually a lot of prep work of figuring out what your kid's interested in or um, what you wanna teach them and then diving into that and teaching across the curriculum. People usually do it with a time period. Um, so they'll make their unit study through history and they'll take blocks of historical time, like the Revolutionary War, and they'll do all their reading on the Revolutionary War. They'll do their math by learning the way the kids in that time period did math. They'll do their science with science experiments um, based on that time in history and how things were growing or how life worked. So that, that can be a beautiful way to make history come alive and delve really deep into it versus just memorizing dates. Um, it also works really well for families because you can take um, a second grader and a fifth grader and a kindergartner, and they can all be studying the same topic, but you're structuring it where it's based on each child's level. Um, so you might take a very broad subject of apples and your kindergartner is learning to count. And in your fifth grader, they're, they're practicing long division with apples. So you can structure it. Um, a popular curriculum in the early years, one that I did with my family in preschool, and I actually found it just so sweet, was five in a row. It's a very cheap, almost free curriculum that you basically just utilize the library and you get books um, once a week. And off of that book, you do all kinds of fun activities as a family and you read the book. Um, like mouse and a cookie and you bake cookies and you measure stuff for the cookies. It's just, it was a super fun um, way to start the education. Um, and then there's the unschooling method. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about unschooling because I have a lot of respect for unschoolers out there, but I also see where some people are using the unschooling method in a way that's not supposed to be used. So I want to be really clear. Unschooling is how it sounds. It, you are not doing formal schooling. There is at no point the goal of sitting down at a desk every day at 8 a.m. and working through workbooks. This is very much child-led. But parents have a responsibility to create a rich learning environment that allows the child to develop interests and then begin to pursue those interests on its own. And then the ch parent, like in Montessori, is a guide, is constantly helping the child discover more, find more, and use that interest, similar to a unit study, across all curriculum. Um, so it is it requires a lot from the parent. The parent has to be really involved. And if you have more than one child, unschooling can be very difficult because your children are going to have different needs and different interests. And you're going to be doing a lot of work to be making sure that all your boxes are ticked and your child is developing. 
Um, I've seen this work really well with very highly intelligent children, children that just don't fit in any type of educational box that we have created in society. Um, They do great with unschooling because they are so self-motivated. That's another thing. You need a self-motivated child for unschooling to work. If your child doesn't want to learn, don't pick unschooling. Um, And the last thing I would say about unschooling is that while it's child-led, it doesn't mean that the parent isn't actively pursuing the child's education. I see around me a lot in the homeschool community, people saying that, oh, we're unschooling. And I say, great, what's your child learning? And they give me this blank look and they're like, no, no, we're playing all day. That is not unschooling. Putting your child outside and letting them play while they're in like seventh grade with no direction is not unschooling. Unschooling is very directed. The child is very motivated. The child is learning every day. Um, And you are a guide working to help them reach their fullest potential. So it does pair very well with a Montessori. It pairs very well with Charlotte Mason or unit studies. Um, But to understand that you as a parent have to be really active. You're not going to just be able to buy a box curriculum and say you're unschooling. Um, So within each one of these, you can also have the um, virtual component of that for most of them. Um, The traditional, the classical, um, they really pair well with a virtual type school. And a virtual type school can be anything from, we have friends that they do public school at home. They just do it at mom and dad's kitchen table. And that might be because you have a student athlete and you don't have anything against the public school education. You just don't have the eight hours that your kid can be in that school building. They need their highly competitive in gymnastics or swimming or golf or basketball, and they need their afternoons free. So you cram school into the morning and then their afternoons are, they're pursuing elite sports. Um, Virtual also works really well in bullying situations where you need to remove your child from a school. It works really well in middle school and high school when you just don't feel equipped to teach something It works great in elementary school when you have multiple children and your child needs phonics lessons and you have five or six other kids underfoot that also need from you at the same time. It's great to be able to pop that child down and let um, them tune into a class and a master teacher gets online and teaches them that subject. Um, I have a lot of people that pick virtual because they just don't feel confident yet in their ability to be the primary teacher. So they pick virtual for their math and their reading or their history subjects so that they just feel like these things aren't getting dropped. Um, And virtual can be very expensive. It can be accredited programs and it can also be free through your school. So Whenever you're sitting down and you're thinking about what kind of education you want to give your child, start with these philosophies and think of what the rhythm of your family looks like. There are people that travel all around the world and they call them world schoolers, world schooling, and they are learning in the back of an RV or on the airplane as they go places. And they're doing unit studies because they're traveling through Europe or they're traveling through the United States. Um, But you also have families that they're very structured. We're very structured. We sit down at eight, we're done at 11. And that's how we focus. And I look at my unschooling friends, my Montessori friends. And to me, it looks like, wow, that's a lot of work and stress. They look at my world as, wow, that's very um, confining. So you have to think about what works for you as a family. And what works for you as a family is not going to be the same exact thing. You can even have two families using the same curriculum, but then how you use it, how deep you dive into it, how you 
work in your home can be totally different. So a lot of homeschoolers end up at the kitchen table, but you have people that create a classroom in their home. You have people that create a classroom outside in the backyard on a hammock. You have people that create the couch as their classroom. Um, some people, the kids take their books um, and their folder of work for the day and they go to their room and they reappear two hours later with their work done. So it's all about how you want your family dynamic to work, how many children you have, the ages of your children, and what works this year and what's going to work in five years for your family. Maybe totally different things. Um, if you have a toddler right now, there may be a Montessori method, maybe the biggest headache in the world because the child's dumping the, the um, sensory bin all over the floor. So you need a different method for these early years than what you might want to do in the later years. And it also matters what type of learner you are. Um, and I know I'm going really long, but just to touch on this, um, every kid in your family is going to be a different type of learner. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to pick a different curriculum or a different style. But what it does mean is that when you look at whatever style fits your family, you are going to have to present that style differently to each child um, and go from there. Anna, thank you for that awesome rundown. We're going to take a break in one second, but I did want to direct everyone's attention to our homeschool page on Dad Devotionals. That's daddevotionals.com slash homeschool. There you're going to check out our top five homeschooling resources. As you, as you saw in episode 147, I believe it was, we spoke with Anna about part one, about getting into homeschooling and how we did it. Episode 148, I spoke with Carrie McGraw from Memoria Press. So you're going to want to check that out. And Memoria Press is our, is our top, is our number one homeschool resource that I want you to check out, daddevotionals.com slash Memoria. You'll also find information on handwriting without tears. Uh, you'll, have, you'll see my Amazon affiliate link to that. You'll see teaching them diligently which is another popular homeschool program, Everyday Graces, which is a Christian program that uses and utilizes the Charlotte Maison method. And then you'll also see a new resource we just found called the Homeschool Style Company, which has some awesome shirts and everything that Anna, that Anna especially loves. And you'll, you'll see some of our recommended uh, shirts and resources there that you'll want to check out. That is daddevotionals.com slash homeschool. All right, we're going to take a moment to thank our sponsors. When we come back, we're going to chat more with Anna about, okay, I'm homeschooling, but how do I socialize my kids? We'll get into that when we come right back. Hey, dads, are you responsible for your household or business finances? If so, check out my website, runthemoney.com. Run the Money is the place for money management tips for saving more, paying off debt, and budgeting. I also give you ideas and information for starting a side business. If you're in between jobs or need a way to get a better handle on your family's money, go to runthemoney.com for free articles on money management. That's runthemoney.com, R-U-N-T-H-E-M-O-N-E-Y, all one word, runthemoney.com. I'll see you there. Want to start a website for your family business? Check out Bluehost and get everything you need to start up your own website. Select your domain, a design template, and get the right hosting plan. Whether you're starting or growing a digital business, brick and mortar shop, or you're selling eggs on the family farm, Bluehost can help you get your business online. Plans for Dad Devotionals listeners and RunTheMoney.com fans start at $2.95 per month with a free domain for one year. Go to runthemoney.com slash Bluehost and sign up. That's runthemoney.com slash Bluehost. Get it done. All right. We're back with my wife, Anna. We're talking more about homeschooling. Anna, now let's get into this other element here, and that's socialization for your kids. I mean, you hear a lot of things about, okay, you homeschool, but how do your kids socialize? What does that look like? Can you touch on that for us and, and, and what it looks like for our family? So there's a meme that floats around the social media um, right now that I think perfectly 
encapsulates the response that most of us have. And it's, I met the village and I don't want my children to be like the village. So I think it's great that you think your kid's getting socialized in school, but is it the socialization that you want for your child? I just met a mom who the other day told me that this year, her son was really excited because he got to eat in the lunchroom. Because during COVID, he ate by himself in isolation at his desk every day. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like socialization to me. Um, and then eating in a lunchroom is, is a wonderful experience. I'm sure it's a lot of fun. Um, but it's 15, 20 minutes of a kid's day, followed by a very short recess. And then that's it. The rest of the time, your kid is in school being told, please stop talking to him. Please stop touching him. Please stop acknowledging that person. Um, please pay attention. Be quiet. No talking in the halls. Um, no joking around. You're here to learn. We need to get things done. That's not how it works in the homeschooling world. Socialization um, can, A, happen just within your family. There's a lot of very large families that are like, hey, we have a lot of kids. Um, we're learning to share. We're learning to play. We're learning to interact. We're learning how to acknowledge everyone's feelings um, just within the family dynamic. For those of us who are in two family, two people, two children families or three children families, um, while there's a lot of that that happens that I really appreciate, um, I do want my child to understand the world and how it works. I just want them to do it in the safety of my watchful eye and my guidance. So we do play dates almost every single day. Um, and they're not that hard to put together. Other homeschooling moms want to get together. They don't want to be isolated in their homes. So finding your tribe, finding people like you, finding others that are homeschooling um, in your community. And I mean, I'm a very structured person. I think you've probably figured that out. So people are assigned a day in my life. Um, this is our Monday play date. This is our Wednesday play date. This is our Thursday play date. These are the kids we play with on Fridays. Um, every once in a while, I mix it up and I throw a Monday person on on Wednesday. But every day, my kids are having hours of unstructured, creative playtime with a variety of ages. Um, breaking it down in school, the socialization that kids get in school are with all the kids of very similar economics. They all come from the same town. They all come from a similar background economically. Um, they all have families working similar type jobs. Um, but when you get into homeschooling, you have everything from very wealthy families that just didn't need the income to families living well below the poverty line whose parents are working two or three jobs just to keep food on the table. They're seeing a very wide range of socioeconomics. Um, you see tons of diversity within the homeschool world because a lot of our children that come from other cultures feel that their cultures don't get acknowledged, don't get told, don't get heard about, don't get acknowledged in public school. And nobody has any culture in public school. Everyone's safe. Um, but when your child is at home, you can pass down your family's stories, your family's traditions, your family's experiences in a beautiful, rich tapestry of like conversation and way of life with your children. So we do see so many families pulling their kids out saying, this doesn't fit us. We don't want to be washed away into nothing. Um, so you have that. The other diversity that you get is diversity of emotion. I don't know if you remember being in school, but you didn't get to have feelings. You didn't get to have anger. You didn't get to have sadness. You didn't get to have pure joy and giggling. You had to be engaged in learning. 
But in a homeschool setting and free play, you do have the child that gets angry. The other children see the anger. They watch the mother or mothers intervene and help the child learn to process their anger. You see the child get hurt and cry. and doesn't get immediately taken away to the nurse and tears dried away and then return to class line. But you see the child work through the tears because it's happening right in front of you. It doesn't go away. There's no nurse to go to. You see mom taking care of it. You see mom, you see dad, you see the stress of life and of the family. You experience all the emotions in the day in context. They're not just wiped away. So a child coming into a homeschool family, they're, they're not scared of seeing mom sit down and cry because she's also frustrated. They understand that mom can be frustrated too. Um, and the other beautiful thing is that we, they call it horizontal play, where all the kids are the same age. We don't have horizontal play. We have vertical play, where my son is six. He is playing with an 18-month-old baby and getting that baby to smile and laugh while the mom is tending to her eight-year-old child who fell down off his bike. My son is playing with the eight-year-old child and riding bikes and, and having fake war games. Well, his sister is playing with a three-year-old and she's four. So that's a vertical learning. They play up and they play down. Um, all age groups come together. All genders come together and they learn how each other thinks. Um, so often in America, we talk about gender so much in America, but it's almost like we lost what gender was in that not all girls are the same. Not all boys act the same. And so when you have this vertical play, you see that not all boys want to play war and not all girls want to play with Barbie and that some girls are going to be rough and tough and tumble. And some boys are going to want to sit down and play with the dogs and explore the grasshopper in the grass. And that that is embraced versus in a school setting, you see the bullying when you don't fit with the other group. And that is such a shame that we're losing that in America. Um, so when we talk about socialization, I just laugh. Because it's just from a, it comes from this, it's an easy thing for somebody to whip out of their back pocket and be like, oh, but are your kids socialized? And I want to say, actually, they're better socialized than yours. Because my six-year-old has no problem talking to an adult. And he has no problem playing with the baby. And that is what makes it beautiful in society. Yeah, that's a good point, hon. And, uh, but I think folks would really benefit if you talk a little bit about the co-op effect. Uh, you know, one of the things that we ran into is we couldn't find a co-op that worked for us right in the beginning. And then instead, you ended up starting one with a couple other moms. So talk to us about one, how to find the right co-op. And then two, if we can't find them, what fits us or some of the other groups or some of the other folks that we're involved in. And, and we're associated with how you can start one. That was probably a hard stage. There's a lot of emphasis put on co-ops that you need a co-op for socialization. <laughs> I don't think that's true anymore, but I do remember being in that stage where I felt this pressure that, oh my gosh, what if my child never goes to co-op and then he won't know what real school looks like, or he won't know how like to walk in a line. Um, now I look back on that and that's foolish, but I also do think that there are some beautiful things that co-op can help, especially new moms, learning moms, um, seasoned moms or moms with like just really social kids that just want different varieties. Um, so finding a co-op is, it's usually pretty simple. Um, you can find them based on the philosophy. You can find them through Facebook groups. You can find them through um, 
the different curriculums you use, like Memorial Press has cottage schools all over the country. They have meetup groups all over the country. Um, you can find them through your library. One way I would tell people, if you're just starting off and you're really looking into it and you really want other people, um, call your local roller skating rink and find out when they're having a homeschool day and go to that. Um, call your library and find out when they have homeschool times. Call your YMCA and find out about their homeschool classes and just start showing up at those things. Um, there will be tons of other moms at those and then find one you like talking to. You're not going to like them all. They're not all going to be like you. Um, but there's going to be somebody that you kind of mesh with and then you're going to meet her friends or his friends and you're going to kind of start to be like, oh, what kind of co-op do you go to? And you might be surprised to find out they all go to a different one or they're all part of the same. A lot of churches now host co-op. Um, so asking your pastor or going to a community church that you kind of feel affinity to and asking if they have anything or if they know of any. Um, those are other great ways to find co-ops. All co-ops are different. So I wish somebody would have told me that when I was starting out. I thought they were all the same. They're not. Um, you have Catholic co-ops. You have Protestant co-ops. You have evangelical co-ops. You have liberal co-ops. You have conservative co-ops. You have social co-ops. You have non-religious co-ops. They're all different. You have nature co-ops. So it really just starts with um, meeting other homeschool moms. And if you go to a co-op and it doesn't feel right, don't go back. Like, you don't have to. Um, homeschooling is not the way it was in the 90, 1970s or 1980s when it was one mom in a community keeping her kids at home. And she had to drive two towns over to find another mom homeschooling. There are thousands, millions of us across the country homeschooling. Some of us have groups, some of us don't. Um, but whenever you find moms or dads that you like, asking them what they're part of and go towards that and see if you fit there. Co-ops are usually always welcoming. Um, I have gotten rejected by some, <laughs> um, but those were on religious grounds. And, you know, if that happens to you, just, shake the dust off your feet and move on. Um, you weren't going to fit there anyway, probably. So realize that there are, there will be places for you to fit. Also realize you don't need a co-op if you don't want one. You can take your kid to the park and you will meet other homeschooling moms. You can go to the library and your kid will meet other kids. You can go roller skating, ice skating, take, put them on swim team, join the t-ball league. Go join a soccer league. Um, join a robotics club. There are so many things. Follow your kid's interests. And your kid will make other friends. They don't have to be homeschoolers. We have lots of friends that don't homeschool. They bring different elements of conversation and relationship forming to my kids' lives. I love that. I love them. Not every kid in our life needs to be homeschooled. So that's the rich tapestry that we get to create in our home. So go to your community pool in the summer, make friends. <clears throat> the hardest thing I think about homeschooling is being an introvert like myself. I have to go and meet all the other moms and I have to form relationships and get their phone numbers and create opportunities for our children to develop their friendships. If I put my kid on a bus, my kid would make their own friends and I would never know the other mom, um, which for my introverted personality, sometimes I wish I could do. But the relationships I have formed with these other moms are incredibly valuable to the type of person that I'm growing into being. So even as a very introverted person, I can even admit that getting myself out of the house every day and forming these relationships 
and getting to see how other families work and thrive and think has been absolutely beneficial. We've just gone through two really hard years in our country where we've all been separated. And I think overwhelmingly, we know that we are social creatures that thrive in community. And so as uncomfortable as it may feel, the other person probably feels it too, but we all as people create crave community and don't keep yourself isolated. You don't have to put your kid in a structured co-op. You can just create opportunities for friendships. Wow. Well said. I, I knew I married you for a reason. That, that was, that was awesome. Um, I was going to scratch this segment, but it's my favorite one. So I'm going to make you do it anyway. It's the, the fatherhood five, although any, any mom can obviously also participate. Uh, it's a lightning round, quick answers. If that's possible for you, I love you. Please don't hate me. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to make it quick. We'll see how, we'll see how fast you can get through it. What's the most rewarding thing about being a parent? My children's hugs. What's the most difficult thing about being a parent? Your the hugs. Co <laughs> sleeping. Mm, amen <laughs> to that. Yes, especially when I get kicked out of bed. Uh, let's see. Number three. How do you react when one of our kids does something wrong? It depends on the moment and how much coffee and chocolate I've had. Interesting. Um, if I am loaded with coffee and chocolate, I have unlimited amounts of patience. <laughs> if I am tired, I will go to anger, which I am really working on. She's nothing if not honest. Number four, best book on parenting or homeschooling that you've read. Oh, that's hard. Okay. David Thomas, Wild Things. Mm. I read that while I was pregnant with my son. It totally revolutionized how I saw boys. Um, I think it completely changed how I started raising my son. Um, And I adore the little boy that he has grown into. And I owe a lot of it to David Thomas because he let me be okay with my son being fully boy and being rough and tumble and busy. Um, and I'm so thankful for that because I don't think if anyone would have prepared me for the busyness of a toddler boy, I would have been really overwhelmed. Um, but he gave me the great gift of realizing like, it's okay. And then this might be wrong, but there's a podcast that he's part of with Sissy Groff and it's called Raising Boys and Girls. And season two, I listen to religiously and tell everybody I know about it Um, because it literally takes you through the stages of development for boys and for girls. So it analyzes how their little brains work. And so when your child starts to do something, you as a parent can be like, oh, they don't have impulse control. So I'm going to use this as a teaching moment versus like wanting to pull my hair out. Um, and I listen to them every January. I re-listen to the new stage my kids are in to keep it primed in my head going forward for the year. Well, the only episode of this podcast that she's going to listen to is the one where I have one, the only David Thomas on. It'll actually be the one following this. So be on the lookout for that. I'm very excited. <laughs> I know you're not coming on. No, not, we, we can't have the, the, the fanfare with you on, on co-hosting with me. I can't do that. Uh, last question. Name a Bible verse or a saint's quote that you're meditating on lately. Oh, I wish I had my phone. Um, okay. So the Bible verse that I really absolutely love is Proverbs. And I can't remember the verse or number. Just tell us how it goes. But it talks about the raise your girls to be a cornerstone and your boys out in the dirt and wild. I'm not prepared for this question at all. That's okay. Prepare me. <laughs> um, but what I love about it is even all the way back in Proverbs, thousands and thousands of years ago, it talks about our girls being the cornerstone, 
of a building and thinking about how strong we have to raise them for all the things that they're going to bear on their shoulder because our women are responsible for the shape of our family, for the details of our lives, and for our men to raise a strong boy is letting them be free, letting them be wild so that they can grow up big and strong and be the protectors and providers of us. Um, And it just totally embodies the beauty of both a boy and a girl and what we are as parents raising them into and what they're going to become. Amen. Well, you're certainly the cornerstone of this family, hun. So we appreciate you and we appreciate you coming on once again and sharing your wisdom with us. Thanks so much. You're welcome. (laughs) Well, that's a wrap. Again, thanks so much, Anna. I love you so much. I appreciate you coming on my podcast. Uh, Be on the lookout for more homeschooling content coming up on the podcast in season four. We're going to interview more influencers. We'll probably talk more with Anna. I even, as she was talking earlier, I even got an idea of maybe having an all co-op episode where she can talk about how she got started with hers and what that looks like today. She's already blushing and giving me the, no, I don't want to do this. Look, uh, 11 years of marriage, folks. So you'll be able to check that out. More influencers, more information on homeschooling programs, more information coming up on season four. And until then, we'll be on the lookout, as I said, for the David Thomas episode. Go to daddevotionals.com slash homeschooling for all the awesome resources that we talked about, and we'll be adding more going into season four. And And the Bible verse will be in your show notes. Yes, I will add the Bible verse. We will get the right one. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for that reminder. Yes. May God grant you all many blessed years. May he grant you uh, blessings as you make this decision and hunker down for homeschooling and head into uh, the rest of this summer and head into the fall solidified in understanding what it takes to accomplish homeschooling for your family. Until next time, God bless. Thank you for listening to Dad Devotionals. Be sure to text me at 717-913-5671 to join the Devoted Dads community. Do me a favor and share this episode with at least one other person who could benefit. Until next time, take care and God bless.